Everybody talks about improving Bible literacy, but what if that isn't the right goal? This is the Bible Reset Podcast brought to you by the Institute for Bible Reading. Goodwin, joined by Paul Kemnitty and Glenn Powell. As the Institute for Bible Reading, we try to keep our ear to the ground for all things Bible-related. So we often see articles reporting the huge declines in Bible literacy or, you know, blog posts with tips for boosting Bible literacy. And all of that is fine, but we think that literacy is too small of an, an objective. And today we want to talk about what we think is a better goal, uh, which is Bible fluency. Yeah, guys, this is something that we've talked about privately for some time. Yeah. Fluency versus literacy. But this is, I think, the first time that we're having the conversation publicly. And I think it's actually a very opportune time uh, to do that. Uh, I don't know if everyone has seen the latest uh, articles from American Bible Society, but it shows now that for the first time in many generations, that daily Bible reading has slipped into single digits mm. first time that's happened in some time sadly yeah, like I've, nine nine percent of people something yeah, like that right yeah right it's a bit distressing that there isn't more publicity around that i would wish that christian leaders would be talking about that more and that we would be hearing it most of the conversation i think is christians appearing in the public square to protest this or that but hmm. where we're not showing up is with the bible and yeah. so this is, a, I think, a timely discussion. Uh, you know, maybe the first thing that we should say is to acknowledge that in our estimation, uh, Bible literacy versus Bible fluency is not just splitting hairs. This is not a matter of just semantics. We think that the words matter here. And today we want to differentiate between the two and and show really that literacy is a prerequisite step on the way to fluency. And maybe the way, another way to put that would be to say that a person can be literate, but not fluent, but you, you can't be fluent and be illiterate. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Glenn, how would you define literacy as opposed to fluency? Yeah, I think of literacy as being a kind of a basic knowledge. It means you can refer to the facts, the figures, the basic quotes. Maybe in the case of the Bible, you know some verses, you know the names of some people. Maybe you even know them in some kind of um, decent order, like the way the basic storyline goes. So it's kind of a, a low-level familiarity with the basic information. That's what I think of as literacy. Hmm. It's a surface-level kind of knowledge. Fluency, it seems to me, is deep familiarity. It means you know something in your bones. Fluency with the Bible is shown when, for example, you can pick up allusions in the text to some earlier part of the story. It's one hmm. thing to recognize a quote, you know, when it's referenced as a Bible quote, but there's a lot of times in the Bible where there are simply things that are echoes uh allusions to earlier parts of the story fluency is seeing those deep connections for instance to use an example from the bible it's like recognizing the prominence of the number seven in the gospel of john 
Mm, and realizing yeah. that the whole thing is a new creation story. You only get that, first of all, by reading the entire gospel. So let me put in a plug for our, our regular mantra of reading whole books. To get mega messages, you have to read whole books. But if you read the whole gospel of John, you see that the number seven shows up all over the place. If you're paying attention to what's happening, seven I am statements. Jesus performed seven mighty signs. John starts the whole gospel with the words, in the beginning. So if you're tuned in to what's already happened at the beginning of the story of the Bible, when you read the Gospel of John, you think, wow, he's doing everything he can to help us see that Jesus is bringing about a new creation. And that's essential to understanding what John's trying to do with his whole Gospel. Yeah, I think we see this when we pay close attention to the way the Bible writers then reference the Hebrew Bible, for example. And it's, yeah. it becomes clear when you hear Jesus and Paul and others making these references that they're somewhat speaking, you know, off the cuff, that these are things that they are fluent with. And so they just come to mind. And one of the proofs that they're fluent is that they oftentimes don't directly quote a reference. Right, exactly. They just said, you know, Jesus says it is written, and then he goes on to expound on something. And the idea is that I know this in my bones, and probably that his early readers were very familiar with this as well. And so this is happening all the time if we pay attention. You're keeping track. You know, Jesus quotes from the Hebrew Bible, you know, 78 times, referencing 27 um, different books. And that's that's what's recorded. You know, there's probably many other times when he quoted right. that we don't uh, we don't have the the record. So, at any rate, the the point is is they were fluent, and these scriptures were ingrained in them. Yeah, and I think it wasn't like a uh, kind of Bible verse finger wagging type of quoting. You know, I've got a Bible verse in my uh, pocket for any situation. It was more, I think, that the Hebrew Bible had kind of shaped their language, right? They were so steeped in it that they could just kind of call things to mind um, and and quote off the cuff, like you said, because that was what was shaping their imagination and, and their language. Um, yeah, I think a sign of fluency is the ease with which you can bring it to mind when you want to. Right. It can just, it just comes up because, because you're immersed in things deeply, you know them deeply. Um, it's not hard work. It's not memorization per se. It's simply you're deeply familiar with it because you love it and you spend a lot of time there and you kind of know how it works. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder sometimes if like foreign languages can be a decent uh, illustration for this, right? Like, I don't, I don't know that we ever knew anybody that uh, became fluent in a foreign language by sitting in a classroom and, and memorizing vocabulary, right? Like I took uh, a foreign language in uh, in high school from eighth through 12th grade. So five years of foreign language, spent hours in the classroom memorizing vocabulary, conjugating verbs, all that sort of stuff. And by the time I was a graduating senior, I would call myself kind of literate. Like I could kind of make my way through a conversation as long as it was around a topic that we had studied. Um, but we all know people that have moved to a foreign country and just kind of immersed themselves in it for a year, two years, and they're way ahead of where I ever was 
by just sitting in a classroom and having kind of having these surface level uh, interactions with it. So what do you guys think about that parallel? Does that does that translate? Yeah, I think that works. Exactly. I think that's, you know, my struggles were in Spanish, the worst grades I ever got in school ever. Um, So yeah, I totally relate to what you're saying. And I think that's a good way to think about what it means to be fluent versus literate in the Bible. And, and I think one of the reasons why literacy has become such a major topic is because it seems to be something that's measurable. And Bible researchers are looking for something that they can count in order Mm. to report on how people are doing with the Bible. Yeah. Fluency kind of requires a conversation with somebody. You'd have to sit down and just talk with them to find out if they're fluent in the Bible, if they are deeply familiar and can talk about it with ease and know how the story works. Literacy, on the other hand, is kind of a, a test you can give to people on basic facts and they do well or they do poorly. And I just think it's an easier thing to measure. So it gets reported a lot more Mm. and therefore gets talked about a lot more. But we need to remember that 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 quirk of Bible research doesn't mean that literacy has to therefore be our goal. Right. Yeah. And I think you said it earlier, Paul, that literacy, uh, it's not to just kind of shove it off the table. Right. It's it's a prerequisite. You know, you need to know what the four gospel books are which will, you know, kind of get you the good score on the literacy test. But that's a prerequisite to fluency. And I I would agree too, Alex, uh, that your analogy between learning a foreign language works in this context. And this, the the idea that to learn French, you, you might actually, to really learn French deep in your bones, you might have to go to France. Yeah. And because you have to know something about the culture there, not simply, not simply the language. I remember yeah. uh, traveling uh, in a foreign country at one point, um, and I used a term that I thought was a legitimate term, and discovered people around me were kind of laughing, mm. <laughs> and it turned out there was some sort of sexual innuendo in this language with this term uh, that yeah. I knew nothing about. So applying that to, you know, our Bible knowledge, I I do think that people probably need to have a rudimentary level of understanding about some Greek history, um, some Roman history, some Jewish history. And that's all part of, I think, becoming fluent. Yeah. I think there's also kind of just this level of uh, passive absorption that happens if you just spend time with it. Like, Uh um, you know, this is what you were saying earlier a little bit, Glenn, like read whole books, you know, we keep hammering that point, just spend time in it. And you, you start picking up on some of these themes and connections just passively by spending time in something. Yeah. And I, you know, as we think about people who are fluent in other things, other areas of life, they do it because they have a strong interest in it, right? My son works part-time as a national hockey league official. Yeah. And so when you talk to him about hockey, uh, it's not hard for him. He has this love for the game of hockey. So he's fluent in hockey. He knows how to talk about the details and the facts, but he puts them together and understands things that I never will because he loves hockey. And so I think we need to connect fluency to something that we're strongly interested in and not think of it as a chore, but say as followers of Jesus, are we in love with the 
the book that describes who he is, why he came, what the story is. And I think it has to do with love for something. Um, Mm. Ultimately, that's what it means to know something deeply is to love it. You know, another illustration of this is something that was in um, the texts that we talked about in our last podcast. We went back to Holy Week, and there was a point in time on Tuesday when Jesus is going back and forth with the Pharisees. Actually, no, it was the Sadducees, I think, as, as I remember it now. And he makes this statement to them about an argument that they were making, and his rebuttal was, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. And then he caps it off by saying, you have made a serious error. One of Jesus' strongest denouncements of the religious leaders uh, of his day. Hmm. And it's a powerful statement. Um, And in some ways, it's a backhanded statement because when Jesus says, you don't know the scriptures, he's saying, I do know the scriptures. And I know mm-hmm. them in a way and at a level that uh, that you don't. So there's there's different levels of knowing, and this is you know illustrated in other different passages. Uh, you know, Jesus confronts the Pharisees, and he says, "You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you possess eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. If you believed Moses, you would believe me." For he wrote about me. So there's these examples again and again where Jesus sets himself up as something of a model of what it means to know scriptures. And as we said in our earlier conversations, somewhat tongue in cheek, Jesus was a Bible guy. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think, okay, number one, we can see that it seems to be a bit of a theme as Jesus is critiquing first century Jewish religious leaders. So one of the things he seems to be saying about them is, you're not reading the scriptures well, you're not reading them deeply, you're missing things that are really there. So one of the things about the Sadducees, I think we maybe mentioned this last time, is that they only accepted the first five books of the Torah as scripture. So everything else they said is not really scripture like Torah is, the five books of Moses. So if they're going to believe in resurrection, they have to find it in Torah. They don't buy it if there's a a reference in, say, the book of Daniel or Isaiah or someplace else. So how can you, and then they they worked at showing the Pharisees and others who believed in resurrection were foolish by giving this example of the marriage scenario that they lay out there. And so we have to ask, well, is there a reference to resurrection in Torah? And again, I would say literacy would say, no, there is no reference to resurrection. If you do a concordance search in the first five books, you're not going to find raised to life, resurrect, resurrection, or anything like that. But I think this is getting at what fluency really is about. Hmm. Jesus is saying, yeah, there's not a literacy reference to resurrection, but there is a fluency reference to resurrection. That is, there is a deep sense in which the God of life, who is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, which is the reference that Jesus quotes to the Sadducees, is the God who one time had a relationship with these patriarchs. But if he really is the God of life, then that doesn't end. That that the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob 
must continue because they are loved by God. And there's this great book by John Levinson, who's a Jewish scholar, called Resurrection and the Restoration of Israel. And he, it's interesting, he talks about this exact point, because uh, a lot of Jews have not believed in the doctrine of resurrection after the story of the Bible or Bible times. Of course, it was a huge deal already in first century Israel, and most Jews did believe in resurrection. But he talks there about, can you talk about resurrection in the Hebrew Bible, that is in the Old Testament? And Levinson says, we have to see deeper. You have to read deeper. God in the Hebrew Bible is the God of life, not of death. And so from the creation story in the beginning, all the way to the story of the wives of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their wives were barren in each case. And so God brought them the gift of life by his own direct intervention. And so there's multiple ways in which the God of life triumphs over the power of death, even in the Torah and even in the rest of the Hebrew Bible, without using the word resurrection. When hmm. Israel is blessed in the land in the book of Deuteronomy, it means that sickness and disease and death won't be a part of it. You see that in the blessings and curses at the end. So all of this to say fluency is deep reading. Fluency doesn't do the easy thing of just looking for words on the surface, but looking for the deeper themes of the story. So Levinson says, resurrection is the entirely appropriate and expected outcome of the work of someone who is known as creator. So Jesus is saying to the Sadducees, I think, look, read deeper. Look at what's really happening in the story. Don't just look for words like resurrection. I think sometimes uh, as as we get deeper into this, uh, just to bring it back down to ground level a little bit, <laughs> it feels like a tall order for just kind of, you know, people who would consider themselves an ordinary church going Christian, right? Like we're basically saying you need to pursue a deeper level of knowledge of scriptures than the Pharisees and Sadducees who probably literally had memorized the Torah, right? Like they had spent right. quite a bit of time in here. Um, it feels like a, a tall order for people to kind of get to this deeper level of knowing. Um, wh what do you guys think about that? It just feels kind of hard for, for people who have other stuff going on in life and, you know, they know the Bible's important. They know they're supposed to read it. But what is what is a kind of realistic goal for most people? What would you say? Yeah, I would say it's true that, you know, when we hear Jesus criticizing either the Pharisees or the Sadducees, you might think, would I have seen that? Like, what are the chances that my reading of the Hebrew Bible would have led me to what Jesus was talking about? Right. And the fact is, I think um, most of us, me certainly, would have missed most of what Jesus was drawing from the scriptures. And I think the thing to say about that is not to be discouraged that we can't know it all or see everything or read deeply enough. The thing is to realize that we're on a journey. It's, if, it, if the Bible is something we love, then we just need to continue on the journey of gaining more fluency. So the more you read it, the more you make connections between books, between the major parts of the Bible, you see where the story's going, look at what the surprises were in the story, and learn. So I think it's just a challenge to, to the learning that comes from love, rather than a sense of, well, I would have never seen that, I didn't know that, um, this was, um, I was blind to this, 
and kind of beat ourselves up. It's not about that. Literacy maybe does that. Fluency, I think, is a journey and it's a goal and it's birthed in our love for the scriptures. And then I think we'll be on the right track. I guess my response uh, to, you know, what we can expect from regular run-of-the-mill, you know, butcher, baker, candlestick maker, <laughs> of which we uh, all are some modern modern mm-hmm. version of that. And I do think that uh, the bar in most churches has been set low. Mm. And I do think that uh, pastors, of which I've been one and of which I've been guilty, set the bar low. We just hope that people have a remedial view of the, the Bible, and then, you know, we'll fill in the blanks in our, in our preachings preaching on Sunday morning. That's a little different than the uh, attitude that the writer of Hebrews had when he says, uh, in fact, he says, by this time, you ought to be teachers. Mm -hmm. Uh, You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Whoever the writer is, is not speaking to clergy. Right. They're they're saying that to, to people. And so when he says, you ought to be teachers. What do teachers do? They're, they've got it deep in their bones. They're not just good at Bible jeopardy. In fact, I think we might say another way of saying it is they're actually theologians. Hmm. And I think the vision of lay theologians is, is really something that maybe we ought to surface again, hmm. and we ought to think about it again. Um, we, shouldn't, we should, if we're church leaders, um, encourage people look at our look at our church doctrinal statement <laughs> and um <laughs> don't don't just say well i guess smarter people than me figured this out and so we we accept that as well and the reality is is that there's a lot more i'll, I'll call it fun in being a theologian and wrestling with the text than simply mem- memorizing things and being good you know at uh, at bible bible jeopardy and again lest we think that this is a pipe dream uh, we will reference the first century. Uh, Luke, mm-hmm. in his writings and Acts, he talks about this group from Berea, and he says that the Bereans were more noble because they sought the scriptures to see if these things were true. That's different than Bible memorization. That's a, a whole level of engagement. Yeah. And uh, Luke Luke calls them out as being a model, and so a congregation of theologians. Not arguing, you know, not bickering with each other, but people who love the scriptures, Glenn, as you referenced, who take them seriously and have deep and engaging conversations that then influence the way we live into the story today. Yeah, that's well said, Paul. And that's an amazing goal. I think I think there is this tendency, I've I've heard it straight out of the lips of pastors myself, that you just can't expect people today to read the Bible at this level, to do these things. And I just think, yeah, it's a, it's a self-realizing, self-fulfilling prophecy when we set the bar that low. Like they, if we communicate that it's not, you, you aren't expected to, then they won't. But I think the goal is to challenge them to deep Bible fluency, immersion in the scriptures, because the depth is there. And I think the reward is there for a much richer Christian life. All right. Well, this episode feels like a good opportunity to remind our listeners that we actually do have a place to submit questions and comments. Um, You might have feedback on this episode. Uh, You can go to thebiblereset.com. And if you scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page, you'll see a, a comment box. So let us know what you think. Should we keep using literacy as the goal of Bible reading or 
uh, do you think that fluency is a better, better word to use, better goal to pursue? Also, just a reminder that if you've been enjoying this podcast, if you found it helpful or at least interesting, uh, we'd, we'd appreciate if you left a rating and a re- review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just helps more people find us, more people discover uh, discover our podcast. So that's going to do it for us today. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you on the next one.